That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Diagra Moon Losing my opinion Hey, we had a great time together. Yeah, we did. The boys were back in town last week. We did our first in-person podcast. You called it a live podcast, which I think if those were the standards for live, then really every week is a live. It was an IRL podcast. <laughs> it was an <laughs> real life podcast, yes. And, it was uh, a very, very good time. Uh, it was lovely meeting your family. Thank you. Yeah, my wife is really happy. She has not listened to it yet. She does not want to hear the sound of her own voice. But Hey, right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> hear the sound of my voice, maybe, but uh, I thought she did a great job, and I thought um, really how I clinched the victory with Laurie Anderson. Yeah, Laurie Anderson was a good call to you. You did lock it down. Yeah, yeah. I got to hand it to you. If you're skirting that line between what might chase somebody away and what might not. I think oh, Superman is a great, it's a great yeah, line skirter yeah, yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, congratulations. Thank you. That's what I was waiting for. You did it. Uh, I had a grand old time at uh, the Somerville Porch Fest a few days ago. Played a bunch of tunes. I didn't know I had that many tunes in me. Just played for like two hours straight. Uh, Wayman and I singing harmony together. It was a lovely time. Did my best not to get sunburn. Nice. Yeah, you don't uh, look like you've been outside at all. So I think yep. that's, it worked uh, really well. That's the look. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, I got one more thing I want to put out there to, to clear the air, if sure. you will. Uh, I guess it's a couple episodes ago now, but we were talking about Sheryl Crow. Um, Soak Up the Sun came on the TV, uh, some show uh, Huey Min was watching. That's a banger. I, that's a slick, nice pop song. I was enjoying that. I forgot that that was, that was a nice groove. Yeah, it's all so right. Hats off to Sheryl Crow. It's all right. But her first two records, really her first three records, I think are very good. The first two especially and there are people on, we put this video on TikTok, talking about how she should be viewed as more edgy than she is viewed. What do we get? A million comments saying, how dare you talk negatively about Cheryl Crow? She is edgy. It's like, if you watch the video, which is, I don't know, 30 seconds long, you'll see that that's what we're talking about. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But anyway, it's enough TikTok. of that. <laughs> it's like, it's Chinatown. It's TikTok. It's what TikTok, do you, what do you expect? Man. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I expect. That's a great question. Uh, but anyway, we have more important things to talk about today than angry Sheryl Crow fans on TikTok. Certainly. Yeah, we have a very special guest uh, on this week's episode. Very excited to introduce uh, a pillar of the YouTube vinyl community, mm. uh, a seasoned album reviewer, and a fellow blondie. Uh, we got Giggins <laughs> on the show today. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hey, man. He's a fellow blondie. That's true. Giggins, you were just telling us you own, uh, how many vinyl records was it in your collection? Something over 2,000 at this point. That's That'll do it. unbelievable. Enough to be too uh, many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're talking about how it's impossible to move. I mean, especially when you're, you're apartment hopping, it's like, you know, I have way less than that and it's backbreaking work. I always believed in quality over quantity. And I mean, at, at one point I had probably almost another six or seven hundred but i sold them at one point to like pay the bills back in the day and i kept the ones i like really really wanted but even if i had like 10 records in my collection that i was really proud of that would be more to me than having like twenty thousand albums that i'm never going to play in my entire life <laughs> so right yeah there's there's a whole bunch that i have where i feel like i'm, I'm never going to play this or it's still in the packaging it's like what is this an action figure like what am i doing mm. here i'm not looking to 
accumulate wealth through my vinyl collection. <laughs> yeah. I just go on Spotify and hit the heart icon. That's great. It gets the job done. <laughs> uh, no, with the vinyl definitely has always had a certain allure uh, to me. I'll let you fellows both know I was scared of vinyl as a child. Like I was frightened to handle it because I felt like I was going to damage it or smudge it or something. I have like naturally just very sweaty hands. It was very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, then affair. you should be afraid of it. Yeah, I mean... That's that's terrible. I needed a vinyl handler. You can have wet hands. Giggins, you got a fantastic uh, YouTube channel. You're you're talking about kind of underrated, you know, not so often explored classic albums all the time. Great, great stuff on there. You were uh, talking with another losing my opinion alum, uh, Abigail Devo, recently uh, talking about the Beach Boys. Smile, I love Smile. Uh, man of taste. Mm. What more can I say? Man of wealth and taste. Yeah. I mean. Smiles, it's an incredible album. It's been a really cool month talking to people about it and uh, other content creators and learn their story about how they got into the record because everyone's in a different smile story. So it's mm -hmm. been a very cool month and there's still a handful more videos to go, actually a bunch more videos to go with that month. So it's, um, yeah, it's been a lot oh, of fun. Yeah. Well, I am certainly excited to discuss music with both of you today on what? Uh, this is, of course, the Losing My Opinion podcast. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, we got to introduce the show sometime. Yeah, uh, yeah. I am adverbly adjective uh, indie musician Niagara Moon, aka Tom Sirwin. I am adjective free indie musician Thin Lear, aka Matt Longo, aka Dad. And on this here podcast, <laughs> we uh, we relish the art of the surprise. You know, we're coming mm. in today to talk to present some songs, listen them to listen to them together. You know, make some arguments, but uh, nobody else has any idea what to expect. We're all going in blind, uh, but uh, this is going to be a fun one this week. I, I got something pleasant for both of you. I think we're going to have a good time here. You're not going to torture us? Usually we torture the guests a little more. Yeah, yeah, I did play like the worst post-Jim Morrison Doors <laughs> <laughs> tunes not too long ago. And no, we're, we're going to enjoy uh, some, some good songs this week. Uh, here, here's the take this week. Here's, here's the angle. Many uh, classic songs, many period uh, that you might, you know, love, enjoy, listen to a lot. Uh, there's often like the live version or several different live versions. Oh yeah, like the studio recording of this is cool, but you got to hear them at Isle of Wight or no, live at Fillmore East, that's a definitive what have you. Um, it's kind of another thing. It's kind of like a more niche thing. I thought it might be more interesting to explore the idea of alternate studio versions mm. of songs. Interesting. Because with a live recording, you know, it's all about, you know, what was going on that day, the energy of, of the crowd and, you know, what their live setup was. It, it, it's different when it's like we're in the studio, we can interpret the song this way, we can interpret it that way. Maybe we'll only release one version, but like, you know, yeah, that's, it's a hard decision to make if you have, you know, two very good but different versions of a, of a song. I don't know how you make that that decision sometimes yeah dylan's kind of like the king of that right because he'll have like far superior studio versions that for whatever reason he just decides like yeah this is not good i'm gonna go with this other thing that's why the bootleg series i think is so uh fruitful because he just like it's i don't know what he does to <laughs> put the songs on a dartboard and throws like it's just very strange you'll hear these the bootleg series and be like why is this not on the record is there any mm. dylan in here today there's no dylan Okay. Uh, but some other very famous popular artists. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not going too obscure for this one. Sure. 
I mean, the king of that is <laughs> we were just talking about smile. Like there's like three or four different definitive versions of wonderful or which do you pick or what, what's the, that's like the ultimate enigma. Yeah. That, that album is like more of a concept than a specific like recording you can go to. But For sure. We're not going quite that lavish, uh, quite that uh, Brian Wilson mystical, but uh, we'll listen to some tunes you fellas tell me if, if you prefer one over the other, if you can have any kind of insight into why the artist might have picked the one they did, you know, what qualities come out more in one version versus another, and we can just kind of munch on that for a while. So we're going to start with a no-brainer. Uh, maybe you fellas have heard of George Harrison. Yeah, I know a guy who works out to him, strangely. <laughs> what song? So you have... The album, All Things Must Pass, uh, which thoroughly received the Phil Spector treatment, you know, love it or hate it, I mostly love it, but, you know, there's no denying, denying many of those songs just go hog wild production and arrangement wise. There's a bajillion instrumental things happening all the time and just smothered in reverb and echo. And uh, there's a particular song on that album called Awaiting on You All. And I truly can't make up my mind which version of the song I prefer, the official Phil Spector produced 1970 release or the, I guess, demo recently unearthed um, when Martin Scorsese put out that documentary a bunch of years back. But I want to listen to a couple different versions of Awaiting on You All and they're equally, they're they're so different, I can't make up my mind okay. which has more power to it. Sweet. Giggins, he, he, he works out to My Sweet Lord, by the way. I uh, listen to that on the treadmill when I'm getting started sometimes. Like a serial a killer jog. would. I'm not lift. I'm not powerlifting to <laughs> Hare Krishna. <laughs> you know, to your credit, I did work out uh, to the Magnolia soundtrack once, but it wasn't by choice. It was on an iPod, and then I was like lifting something, listening to "Save Me." So that was weird. Oh man, you're gonna end up like Tom Cruise, <laughs> whatever his character's name was. Uh, Giggins, I, I take it you're a All Things Must Pass fan. That's one of my favorite albums. I love that oh, record. Yeah. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. I hear ya. I probably best solo Beatles album. Yeah. Do you think that's the best? Do you think so? It's up there. I mean, Flaming Pie by Paul is one of my favorites as well. I'll talk to him about Flaming Pie. Yeah, one of his best records ever. Love that record. It's so underrated, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, that one, All Things Must Pass, Ringo's self-titled album. Uh and the first couple of John Lennon albums. Those are like mm-hmm. the perfect sort of solo Beatles stuff, but yeah, all things must pass is great. And it just put out that big box set was it a year or two ago, uh, for its 50th anniversary. So much to dig into on that thing. All those outtakes and jams and so much fun. They were having a good time recording that thing. You can tell that. Yeah. It was like, uh, it seems like s- some sort of uh, catharsis for him where it's like, you know, there are jams that don't probably don't need to be on the official record, but it doesn't matter. Cause it's just like supposed to be kind of this, sprawling masterpiece messy thing it was john and paul won't let me have more than one song on an album here's three of albums worth of songs (laughs) (laughs) so many songs yeah here's thanks for all the pepperoni (laughs) i remember jeep (laughs) (laughs) so we're gonna listen to waiting on y'all we're gonna listen to the not officially released version first the early take from the early takes volume one album god damn is this tight i can't believe this is like a loose just riffing in the studio. Yeah. Oh, let's figure this song out. Get used to this for the first time kind of deal. Yeah. Without further ado, let's crack into it. One, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> 
don't need the loving You don't need a bedpan You don't need a horoscope or a microscope To see the message you're in If you open up your heart I mean that groove See what I mean Yeah Been polluted so long It's superhuman clean By chanting the names of the Lord and you'll be free The Lord is waiting on you all to awaken and see By chanting the names of the Lord and you'll be free The Lord is waiting on you all to awaken and see So tight You don't need a passport you It's don't need so no much groove here that you don't need to the version on the record The version on the record I love But it's kind of swampy, right? It's like it's got that. We're, we're gonna hear it in a second. You could probably say yeah. that. This is so fluid. All right. How we? Uh, I, I have the feeling you've heard that one before, Giggins. That, oh yeah, uh, that I version. love that album. Yeah. So many cool things on that record. I don't understand how you make that decision. Of you hear something like that, you hear you're so locked in with the bassist and the drummer, and you're just riffing like your life depends on it. <laughs> on that guitar, every all the elements are in place. And then you decide to go in a totally different direction, though. I, I can't make my mind up which which one has more bang for your buck. I, I, let's let's plow right into the uh, official "All Things Must Pass" version. We're someplace else now. Yeah, it's uh, a wondrous mush. I've never had a problem with the, the reverb and echo myself, but yeah, it's like how... It's hard to pull that trigger. I mean, the, the, the crunchy, funky groove of the original demo version has got its own little life to it. Yeah. When you add that... The chorus, vocals, the reverb, the tambourines, everything just kind of like becomes this more jam. Whereas the other one feels like more of a garage band. And this one feels more communal. So yeah. like everyone can sing along together. Whereas the other one feels like something the Beatles would have done for Get Back. Oh, like sure. It feels yeah. like a George Harrison song. So it's like became, I love them both because you get two different vibes and that's what makes it cool. But man, it's hard to pick. That's a tough one. Well, I guess his whole thing, especially this period in the early 70s, was spiritual, was a communal sound. So I guess, yeah, it definitely, it makes more sense for the album uh, to have this be the definitive version. But I wanted him to just release alternate versions of all the songs, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, this is probably closer to his intent. I think also imagine like the pressure he was under to 
produce a masterpiece. And I think that definitely, you know, connected to Brian Wilson too. Like, I, I do think that connects to the amount of shit that goes on to a song. This is, in, is incredible. Um, but I think, you know, if you're feeling like I need to produce a masterpiece, is that going to yield something really stripped down? More often than not, probably not. Especially if you have Phil Spector at your disposal, it's going to be like, throw another string section on there because yeah. I need this to be a big statement. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I couldn't pick between the two. I like listening to the stripped down version more just because I've not played it out. So, you know, there's more joy true, yeah. to be wrung from it at this point in my life. I just get the vibe from it that like, if he had made like a single disc album in that, in that like garage band sort of vein with those songs, it would have worked. Mm. Uh, obviously they all grew into something else, but you know, when you look at stuff that happened on like, let it be big lush productions, long and winding road, let it be, you know, that kind of stuff. And then you get like Ram from Paul McCartney. And that's the complete opposite world of what let it be was. And people hated it when it came out. They didn't like mm. his first album either. Cause it was too stripped down. So if George had put out a waiting on you wall in that jam band sort of vein, I think people would have been like, what is this? Like, this sounds kind of like flimsy or not finished. But time yeah. being what it is, we can see it now and be like, wow, this is freaking awesome. Of course. Yeah. We could. yeah, of course. But back then they're like, we really want to get a paycheck here. So, you know. He knew what was, uh, yeah, he knew it was up. He knew how to make a hit. It's funny because Paul himself hated uh, Spectre's treatment of Long and Winding Road. And that's the whole you know, impetus behind uh, Let It Be Naked. Uh, with those alternate versions of some of those tunes. And yeah. so people getting mad at something like Ram, it's like, no, this has been my aesthetic for years now, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's we could have gone down that rabbit hole too, for sure. And then you got the alternate versions of uh, Revolution, uh, the one that's faster and more rocking yep. from the Beatles' uh, White Album. And no, but... We're going we're gonna to pivot now from Beatles land uh, into a much more obscure choice, uh, Paul Simon. Sure. Cool. Down on his luck, songwriter Paul Simon. Yeah, huh. Uh, you a Simon fan, Giggins? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love Simon and Garfunkel, and I've, I've got a bunch of Paul Simon solo stuff. Yeah, so much of, of his... Uh, I love S&G, of course, but so, so many of those solo Simon albums are classics. There is a song on his... 1972 album called Paul Simon uh, called Paranoia Blues. Nice. Love that record. Love that song. Of course you do. And there are two versions of Paranoia Blues. Uh, there's the official and an unreleased version. And similarly, I'm kind of stuck. I'm, I'm, I'm like, these both have their strengths. I wonder what the rationale was behind picking one versus the other. I'm wondering if uh, you two might be able to, to help weigh in and, and, and pin that down. I've not heard this, so I'm excited. All right, yeah, we'll we'll start with the uh, the unofficial version that didn't come out on the uh, the '72 release. He kind of, I mean, we were just talking about how George Harrison didn't do this, but he kind of went in the direction that we're talking about. I mean, it's not a garage band sounding release, but Paul Simon's self titled is way more stripped down than Bridge Over Troubled Water. Oh yeah, I mean that record sounds huge. I mean, he did do something that was pretty sparse. I mean, Papa Hobo is like you know, or Duncan. Yeah. Yeah. Duncan, right? Yeah, there's not a whole there's good arrangements, but it's it's stuff used sparingly. Yeah. All right. So, here we go. Paranoia Blues. This is the unreleased version. I got some so-called friends. I'll smile right to my face. All when my back is turned. 
They like to bury me without a trace Oh no no Oh no no There's only one thing I need to know Who's that? Are you on? I'm flying a JFK My heart goes boom 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 I know that customs man He's gonna take me to that little room Oh no no Oh no no There's different chord changes There's only one thing I need to know Who's sad he won't, who's sad he won't Paranoid blues It's a little daintier yeah, and the official one maybe. It's definitely not as menacing. <laughs> Do a more rollicking. You and Emily sing this one all the time to each other. <laughs> now that you're out in Hoboken. That was interesting. Not what I was expecting. I mean, the, the chord changes are different. Yeah. Especially on the choruses. Let's, uh, let's cruise right into the official one. I kind of want to jog my memory, too. I don't know if it's horn or brass. There's some, like, deep, like a bass saxophone Yeah, there's, like, a baritone thing going on there. Yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of... That's yeah. what sticks out in the, uh, the studio version for me. But, yeah, let's, uh, let's check that out and do a compare and contrast. Some so-called friends They'll smile right to my face Oh, when my back is turned They like to stick it to me Yes, they would Oh, no, no Oh, no, no Yeah, it's a little more menace in this one There's only one thing I need to know I fly in a JFK My heart goes boom, boom, boom I know that customs man This isn't a hard decision for me, I don't think This is the, the one for you? It's, it's right, it's right with the lyrics Yeah, it is right with the lyrics I got the paranoia blues I'm knocking around in New York City Well, they roll you for a nickel And they stick you for the extra dime Any way you choose You're about to lose in New York City Oh, I just got out in the nick of time Well, I just got out in the nick of time how are you feeling, Giggins? I, I love them both, but I think the release version is my favorite. Um, I like that constant hi-hat hitting and yeah. the, the that is it a baritone sax? That really deep sax in the background during the chorus just adds like a crazy tension to it. Yeah. Which like you said, like you said earlier, matches the lyrics a little better. So that that anxiety is there because they're like a slightly unexpected instrument. 
Um, so I, I think as much as I think the first one, also Paul's vocals on the second one, they're a little bit more, I don't want to say aggressive, but he's more upfront about it. He's kind of like yeah. battling it as he's singing about it, you know? So I dig. I think the release one's the way to go for that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like grittier all around. Yeah. 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 I guess now that I hear it, no, all its glory, I guess it's pretty cut and dry, but it, it must be hard to say no. You know, the first one was nothing to sh- shake your fist at. No, it's theoretically, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. it's great. You could put yeah. that out. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know about uh, Youth and Lear, but I do one version of the song. That's it. That's, <laughs> I'm done. I'm not doing several yeah. other. We're not working with the recording budgets, though, of Paul oh, Simon, where sure, you could sure. say, you know what? Let's do this in a slightly darker direction. <laughs> I, I remember reading something about Bruno Mars one time, either his last solo album or one of his solo albums. He did one song, like nine different styles, genres, and then picked out the best one that he liked. So there's like completed versions of one song. It's like eight different things. It's insane. That's intense. A, a good management company with lots of money to help you out through a complicated <laughs> task. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't, I can count on one hand the amount of times I've done like wildly different versions of the same song. It's like once you get others on there, it's kind of like, you know, mm. you get what you get. You don't get upset. <laughs> and I don't know. I feel like it'd be if you realize a really good version of a song. How do you? I, I feel like somebody else would have to come in to to give input. I can't imagine like taking myself out of it to be like, no, there's a better way we can do this after I've already really committed to and enjoyed what I've done. Like I feel like that's what the classic role of a producer has been. Maybe an outside party to to shake you up. I don't know. It's nice to have that outside sort of, um, I guess, outside out of your own brain. Yeah. yeah, it's good to shake that up. I wonder how often an artist has made something like the, you know, balls out version of Waiting on You All with all the instrumentation, all that production. And they've chosen a stripped down version over that. Wow. Like, I wonder how many times you've put in the funding and the time and the production into that only to say, no, nah, I'm going to go with this other thing. The only oh. thing I can think of offhand is like maybe Nebraska where Springsteen went in with the full band, with the E Street band to record those tunes, got recordings apparently. And then mm. was like, no, nah, I'm going to go with my four track version. My hotel room demos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be rare with that kind of budget to turn away from all that production. The only thing I can think of at the top of my head is smile. Sure. They did all that dense instrumentation, like making another pet sounds, but like 10 times more intricate and putting out smiley smile instead, which is all just very minimal. Someone's playing a jug in the background. Like there's nothing happening musically on that record, but it's same song. Great versions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Smiley Smile. I, and it feels like clearly some songs, it's like even halfway through, you're like, oh, they recorded this part like weeks later, but it's, it right. still has such a charm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. Vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> it, Matt's more of a, a lukewarm Brian Wilson fan sometimes. We should we should grill him on that. <laughs> no, that's mischaracterized. <laughs> I do love Brian Wilson. And I like some of the mid-period Beach Boys albums, I think, more than most. I'll say, oh. you know, the Sunflower kind of sure. surfs up records that I just, I love, I love those albums. Those are perfect albums. Speaking of perfect albums, I don't know if this is what you're going to be talking about, but what have you been listening to this week, Giggins? Losing my opinion. 
honestly, to bring it back up again, smile. Like that has been yeah. unconstant rotation for me for the last handful of weeks, last couple of months, really. It's funny because like I've been trying to I've been trying to discuss Smile on my channel for a long time. And it's one of those albums where I, just, I need to do it justice. And so I was like, I'm not gonna just do it by myself this time, which is why I've had other people talk about it too. But it's an album that never gets old for me. I never stop finding something different about it or weird about it. Um, it's always an adventure that you go on. And that's what I've been really digging into the last couple of weeks, actually. What about you guys? What about, what's your smile story? I actually, this is, this is embarrassing. I'll tell you. The first version of Smile I heard was the Brian Wilson Presents one. That's not embarrassing. It, it's finished. That's great. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, this is really, really good. Uh, and then I didn't dig back until a little bit later. Uh, and I started with like LimeWire versions. And you know how LimeWire, like sometimes you just get dog shit when you used it. So I was like, oh, I keep getting these these like really assy rips of... <laughs> I didn't know it was the real, I know it was the real <laughs> versions. I was like, there's no way Brian Wilson would have released yeah, something this stripped out. You were getting the, uh, the original 1967 Smile Sessions. Yeah. Uh, and later, I, I, you know, I felt like that was brilliant but like at the time i was like oh i keep getting these like demos i'm not i can't find the and <laughs> yeah yeah and then you get versions of some of those songs where they like properly flesh them out on albums sometimes like years later uh, and it's yeah it's a big old confusing creative stockpile there but is uh so are, are we talking smile today on on this show that's what i kind of picked up you guys are cool oh, with it yeah sure i'm down yeah we we really we haven't dug too much into brian wilson really how many episodes of the show we've done he's he's still pretty unexplored territory for us sweet so i guess i can show you speaking of like picking out different versions of songs i want to show you brian's original version of surf's up which is kind of like the crowning achievement of that album definitely kind of the main focal point of that entire record he got to present he had to play this song for a special for leonard bernstein who was doing this thing about pop music and trying to make it seem accessible to grown-ups and being like it's not just for kids like older people can like pop music as well it's a great choice we had brian on like mid peak smile and um let me send you that clip here now yeah i mean what what an excellent selection by leonard there i mean that's how you do it i mean it's like the most unpop song you can think of but that was kind of the point where it's like it's so different so this is just Brian at his piano, just him playing Surf's Up. And for a lot of people, this is kind of like the holy grail version of the song because it's gorgeous. It's just him by himself. And the band version, of course, is incredible because they add on all the instruments and different language vocals. It becomes a production, but there's a magic to this that's like, Whenever I was getting into Smile in the early days and I'd see this clip pop up, I was always like mesmerized because I was like, whoa, like this is something to take notice about. Like if I had been watching yeah. TV in 1966, I would have been like, all right, where's Smile? Where can I buy it? This is nuts. <laughs> but yeah, this is just Brian performing Surf's Up the first time anybody ever heard it. And then no one would ever hear it again until 1971. Oh, yeah, 1966. Yeah, you know what? This image of him looks familiar. I might have heard this version like forever ago, but I mean, any version of Surf's Up you hear, it 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 hits, you know. Yeah.
What's what's so crazy about that or where he got in his songwriting is like obviously when the Beach Boys first started, he was already brilliant, you know, but like ly- lyrically, let's say, is beach themed music in, in, in the early days, mostly. And yet he still retains it, right? Like he didn't he didn't leave it for this song. It's still the beach theme is like still vaguely there. Yeah. But it's so more, it's, it's so much more complex. It's just like, how is he still working within the parameters of beach theme music and doing this? Must have been a pretty good joke between him and uh, Van Dyke Parks. I was gonna say it's irony. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's the most unsurf song we could write and then call it "Surfs Up"? <laughs> it's amazing. And what's crazy about that clip too? It, if I'm remembering right, it didn't have like the very beginning of the song, right? Like dun 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 right. dun, dun. That's like my favorite part of the song, but I didn't. Even hearing this version, it didn't feel like anything was missing either. It's just, it's this big harmonic tapestry. It's just like hearing like, there's almost like a pain in his voice as he's singing the vocals. Like he's like really feeling it, but it's this really like weird artsy song that you feel like you you can connect to, even though you don't really know kind of what he's talking about. You have to like figure it out for yourself as you go along. Yeah. And I don't think he opened his eyes once. He was just, he was in it. I guess you're you're the resident Beach Boys expert here. Do you like do those lyrics at this point like mean something clear to you? Like are you able to to parse them out on that one or is it still kind of a, a mystery? It's a little bit of a mystery, but like there's parts of it that I definitely have tried to figure out over time like um <laughs> what's that part? Trying to put these words together in my brain without hearing it is also a challenge. <laughs> Cuz they're so Unusual, you don't expect them to work yeah. next to each other. Yeah. But um the last fall hard and all lang syne, like it's this it's a kind of like a weird sad moment thinking about like New Year's Eve or something changes or a, a new period's happening, but like mm. it's not a good change because the laughs are going mm. away. And that's all all lang syne is always sung on New Year's. So it's like you're expecting something good to happen, but the laughs aren't sticking with you. So something not mm. funny is about to happen. So a bad change might happen. So that line's always been kind of a interesting juxtaposition for me but um yeah it's, it's a song that i think i'll forever be 
figuring out. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah, that's a great characterization of it. How much of the how much of the magic of this record for you is the choose your own adventure kind of experience that you alluded to before, where it's like everybody. I mean, your question to us not was do you like this record or have you heard it, or whatever. It was like how did you hear it? Like what you know? How did you get into it? What was the puzzle you had to decipher? Yeah. Uh, I mean, my story, I started off, well, I heard about it when I was a kid, like reading Beach Boys books. And in the 90s, like, and there was like no internet really. And I wasn't going to bootleg show, shows or anything, buying CDs. So like, whatever, you know, the department store has what I bought. And um, I remember hearing Heroes and Villains for the first time on a on a compilation album and being like mm. blown away. And to this day, it's still one of the creepiest songs I've ever heard. It's just a really weird song. And then eventually buying the two for CD, which had Smiley Smile and Wild Honey and discovering Smiley Smile was like mind blowing because it was like, this is the Beach Boys. That's big, yeah. <laughs> the guys who sing Fun, Fun, Fun are doing a song about someone going bald. Like, what is this? <laughs> this is cool. <laughs> and then from there, I discovered uh, Smile off of downloading stuff as well and stuff that was on YouTube or no, YouTube wasn't around then. Uh, and then Brian put out the Smile completed project and that was incredible. I can go to the Knocked store and buy Smile. I was like, this is awesome. So yeah, it was a really cool journey. Cause like it was just always unfolding. It was never just like you had to wait for the next thing to come out. And there's so many songs and like all the songs are like module. Yeah. <laughs> is that the term? Like they're, they're comprised of different sections that you can, it's like Legos. You can like take one, one part out, put a different part in. Like there's, if not entire songs, there's always like moments of songs. I'm like, Oh, like it comes back to me having not heard in forever. Or sometimes like discovering certain motifs for the first time, like, oh, that's part of that album too. Like, yeah, it's wild to think about how he wrote that stuff. And then like he heard it in his head, how he wanted to put it together, or maybe he kind of made it up as he went along sometimes, but not an easy way to write songs, like, uh, write songs or tell people how a song's going to go. <laughs> Gigas, do you think that if he had finished the record and there was the one definitive version do you think it would have the allure that it has now with all the sprawling mess of versions? Like, do you, do you think we'd still be talking about it with such like awe? Um, it would still be talked about, but I don't think, I mean, when people talk about smile, there's like that myth and legend and Ooh, this yeah. abandoned album, you know, all this work that went into it, that it disappeared because of drugs and people leaving him and blah, blah, blah. You know, that just comes with people wanting to make up, bigger stories out of things that don't need bigger stories. It was an album that he made, didn't finish. That's all it is. But right. um, if he did finish it, I really think it would have been like, um, it would have been regarded as one of the best 60s sort of lost albums. I don't think it would have done as well in the charts as, I mean, it would have yeah. come out around the same time as Sgt. Pepper, so it would have been screwed anyway. But Yeah, and it's avant-garde. For the most part, it's not... Super easy on the ears. It's not bopping beats. Yeah, you got to figure too. Like Capital wasn't sold on Pet Sounds. Mm. They only hit number ten on the charts, which scared the hell out of them. So they put out a Greatest Hits album instead. Good Vibrations went to number one. So they were like, "All right, maybe he's onto something." And then Smile, I, I think they would have just been completely foreign to how to promote it. They would not know what to do. But with the Beatles, it said the Beatles on it. It could have been an album of, the, of them farting and they would have sold yeah. it because it said the Beatles on it. Or saying number nine, number nine for eight minutes. You could even do something <laughs> yeah. as weird as that. If it says the Beatles yeah. on it, it will always sell. But the Beach Boys are a much tougher sell because their audience was 15-year-olds. They wanted to hear California Girls. They didn't want to hear these weird songs about lyrics. They had no idea what they were talking about. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, 
things were changing, but their audience wasn't caught up. I think some of, some of the cooler kids would have got it, but a lot of their mm. audience would have been like, I don't know what to do with this thing. Mm. Yeah. Imagine how terrifying that would be if you're like 14 and looking forward to like a surf record and cabin essence. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, um, you know, Keith Moon from the who his favorite band was the beach boys. And when Bruce Johnson came over to England to start moving pet sounds and talking about it to different people, he played pet sounds for Keith and Keith was super disappointed. He was like, what is, what is this? I want my uh, happy phone surf music. What was this? <laughs> I could see him responding like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's not the calm Caroline. No type of person. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll be down for that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear another tune. You got anything else in the, uh, yeah, let's do, um, well, I was going to play you the other version of Surf's Up that was released, but it seems like we know that one. So let's do something completely different. Let's do let's do this one here. All right. I guess that also begs the question, what's the definitive version of Surf's Up for you? It's a tough call. The early 70s one? I really like that one because Carl's on it. Yeah. yeah. You know, for me, it's nice to have both Brian and Carl taking turns on the verses and then knowing that they spent the time to like really work on it and really finish it for that album specifically, I think means a lot because they knew the magic that was in that song. So while it's not 100% Brian, he was involved. They had to get his permission to to do it. He's yeah. on it. He helped finish it. But um, that version for me has always been really special. So I like that one a lot. What about you guys? Probably the one on the record. Yeah, it might be... Uh... What's that? 1971. That that version, I feel like it all comes together the most, and it has kind of like a murky mystique to it that you don't have quite as much. Like by the time the 2004 revamped version comes around, but it's there's not like a bad version <laughs> of the song. Yeah, no, you, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, you can, can always, always do that, that song justice. justice. I have a Carl story. I saw I saw the Beach Boys like five or six years ago. Yeah, at, at Jones Beach, which is a great place to be seeing the Beach Boys, any incarnation of them. And hands down, the biggest like uh, crowd silencing moment of the night was they put Carl up for God Only Knows. They just played a backing arrangement and just had his face and he was singing. It was so weird because when they first started doing it, I was like, ah, you know, this is kind of whack. Like, let's just do a live performance. But it's it just like, Everyone was in awe. Uh, and then by the end of it, I was like incredibly moved. And uh, I've not seen someone do that like sort of jumbotron thing of someone singing or whatever in that way and, and felt so um, just bowled over by it. Uh, like what a ridiculous talent that dude was. That voice is just so delicate. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. I mean, like the, the power and the emotion in his voice. Someone once said Carl could sing the phone book. It's true. You'd listen. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, recently, I think it was last summer, uh, Paul McCartney played either Glastonbury or some big show, and they were doing I Got a Feeling. And during the middle bit where John Sparks would have come in, the other guys would have jumped in, like Rusty and Brian would have sang John Sparks. Instead, he turned around, and it was a big video of John on the rooftop singing his lines and Paul watching John sing. And the entire audience goes bananas because it's like, oh, my God, there's John and Paul together again. He's watching his buddy sing the song they wrote together like that's gotta mean something to everybody in that room i, mean, I watched it and i was like oh my god it's the beatles like, it was, <laughs> yeah. like, oh my god. i mean it's it's the power of music man it's pretty far out like this next song we're gonna play here pretty soon is pretty far out 
Oh, vegetables. So the reason why I picked vegetables off a smile is because, believe it or not, this was actually in the running to be a single. And if you hear it, which we'll play, I want to hear your thoughts and think, is this a single or what would you think it would have done Uh, if it was released as a single? Gotcha. And so this looks like this is the uh, Smiles Sessions version, like the the Resuscitated. Yeah, because I do quite like the uh, the smiley smile version and I offhand I don't know how different this is but it's an odd song we'll we'll hear how this, this one has Paul McCartney eating celery in the background so. so that that's true that's not just uh as far as I know it's true it's I like canon. to believe it is <laughs> all right just the image alone is sort of yeah. worth believing it yeah with groove in there yeah <laughs> all right let's check it out yeah I forget how this arrangement works out this particular much version. more um, buoyant than the Smiley Smile version. I'm gonna be round my vegetables. I'm gonna chow down my vegetables. I love you most of all, my favorite vegetable. It's not a single. <laughs> if you brought a big brown bag of them home I jumped up and down and hoped it tossed me a carrot I'm gonna keep well my vegetables cart off and sell my vegetables I love you most of all my favorite vegetable I tried to kick the Plugged in another module. Pass the question around. Uh, Giggins, do you think this is ready to be single? So, uh, no. <laughs> I adore this song. I love it. It's super fun. It's quirky. It's happy. It's light. Great track. And funny enough, um, that same year, a group called Laughing Gravy put it out as a single, which is Dean Torrance from Jan and Dean. Uh, he put out Laughing, Gra- it's Laughing Gravy, a cover of Vegetables. Um, which, as you remember very well, did extremely well for itself. It's a well-remembered 60s classic. But Yeah, we all know and love that song. Yeah. Uh, it was just of the times. Brian loved it. He was like, this would be a great single. And it's like, mm, no. <laughs> uh, I think the song itself could be a single, but not with that vocal arrangement particularly. Yeah. Like, you can't have noises of people going like, <laughs> in the back, but like, it's not gonna fly on the radio, buddy. Uh, the yeah, like the second those those bizarre, wonderful, but just bonkers uh, and crowded, complicated backing vocals came in. I'm like, oh, very much <laughs> super but complex. What do you yeah. think? Uh, I think the the middle bit when the second module kicks in, 
like that section I think is the closest that it comes to being potentially a single. Cause there's like something that's tethering the arrangement Yeah. Uh, up to that point. It's so, uh, you know, the beat is like ephemeral. It's like an idea of where the beat is. Uh, yeah. I think it would have been rough as, as a single, but maybe with a different arrangement, you know, maybe get Hal Blaine back in there. Yeah. 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 Oh Yeah. Not that I, I like this version the way it is, too. Nobody yeah, it's great. Nobody yeah. made this to make this a single, but it's interesting to think what a polished, conventional approach would have sounded like. It's just far out to like contextualize it and think about what the radio playlist would have been like at that point. You have, like, you know, the Bee Gees to Love Somebody, followed up with Vegetables by the Beach Boys, followed up by Sunshine of Your Love by Cream. Like, it would have been kind of a... I don't think it would have fit with the radio at that time, you know? It's just... It's too weird. And, like, that's what makes it cool but it's also like commercial death. I mean, that would have been an awful choice for a single for them. <laughs> it sits in a weird spot because it's not like, it's not that sort of menacing thing, right? Like Sunshine of Your Love or whatever, where it's like it goes in that. There's nothing menacing about it, but it is it is somewhat creepy, but it's also not like bubble gum. It has elements of that, but it doesn't sit there because of the creepiness. So it, it doesn't live in either world. It's not incense peppermints and it's not Sunshine of Your Love. It's just smile. It's just smile, yeah. It's hard for me to even think of this as like specific separate individual songs. I mean, never mind because depending on which version you hear, there's different modules plug in like halfway through. Like it's just it's smile. It's it's the whole thing, the whole beast, however long it is in its entirety, over an hour, hour fifteen or yeah. something. Like whatever that whole symphonic chunk of music is, whatever time it was recorded, that smile. So cool. I guess to end things kind of with a, a tricky question here, do you have a preference of Smile over Pet Sounds or vice versa? They're both, to, to use the, um, the 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 cool kid way of ranking things these days, they're both S tier for me. So uh, they're just like, they they exist in their own realm and everything else you can kind of put into a different level. But for some reason, Smile and Pet Sounds, just like, they're just perfect. Yeah. And they deserve their own special accolades so i can't pick one or the other i mean pet sounds i feel like you can kind of relate to more because it's all relationship songs and smiles about crows uncovering the cornfield but in a, who am i i love them both i love smile because it's weird and i love pet sounds because it helped me get through about 15 years of my life <laughs> awesome. well you guys your answer was perfect i could i s tier both of them yeah, it's pet sounds is is the quick quick bite to eat. It's really satisfying. You're in and out in 35 minutes or whatever. Smiles like, all right, let's make this a thing. <laughs> let's, let's make this the afternoon. You're at Gordon go, go Ramsay's deep. restaurant. You got to wait for two hours, but it's gonna be worth it <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh man. Oh well, as as we're winding down here, this uh, this episode releases in a couple days. Uh, either of you folks uh, got anything you want to plug, mention, promote? Yes, show, Thin Lear, show at Rockwood in the city, New York. If you're in the New York vicinity, come down on, what is Saturday's date? May 20th. I'll be doing a song swap with Texas songwriter Allie Holder. So come on down. I got a show June 6th, Heaven Can Wait. Uh, East Village, opening for Gringo Star. Not Ringo Star, Gringo Star. So come on down to either of those and uh, it'd be good to see you. If I, I had somebody come to... Uh, when I opened for Jesse Malin a little while back, I had somebody come up and talk to me about the podcast, which is the first time that has ever happened. So maybe that person will come back or someone new who, who knows the podcast. 
isn't it weird when someone like recognizes you from something? It's very strange. Like <laughs> I was in, I was in New York City a couple weeks ago for a tribute show for the Rascals drummer who passed away. And New York City has, I don't know, a hundred billion people in it. And I got a message on Instagram that night. I think I saw you walking around. <laughs> I'm like, you yeah, no, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, surreal. <laughs> it was funny though. Yeah. Gigans on YouTube. So you're uh, releasing on a. Yeah, every Friday for the foreseeable future forever is an album review. Um, all of May is Beach Boys month, so there's Beach Boys topic videos, and every album review will be Beach Boys related, whether it's them or a solo thing or somebody in their band. Um, so this whole month is pretty cool. It's just, you know, if you're really into the Beach Boys, it's kind of what I'm known for on, on the internet. Uh, you'll dig this month. So that's what I'm plugging. All right. Giggins on all your social medias. And hey, you can follow this here podcast, Losing My Opinion, on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, all at Losing My Opinion. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and leave a rating or a review on Apple, iTunes, Music Podcasts, or whatever that's called now, Spotify, wherever, wherever you go. Let us know uh, what you think of the show. And uh, I said you'd be whack to have vegetables as your single. That's a crazy idea. And I could be wrong now. But I don't think so. It's a long story why that's happening, but it's happening. You should harmonize that. Do a bunch of har- do a bunch of no, smile harmony. Busy stuff. this week. <laughs> and what do you got to say for yourself, then, Lear? Oh, nothing. Just uh, you know, don't get mad at us on social media. And uh, so long, suckers. Ah!